It is Locked on Jazz for the 26th of February. Oh dear, the Celtics are in town. And what changes can the Jazz make and where are the combinations that work? We'll look into all of it coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Jazz and the Celtics, 8.30 start tonight, 8.30 start. They've pushed it back. Uh, Red Bulls, Espressos, Mountain Dews, whatever you need. Uh, I'll get into the matchup with the Celtics. It's probably the worst possible team we could play right now. They're really good. They play in a style that's going to be really hard for us to handle. Uh, Frankly, they're probably the worst matchup we have in the entire league uh, at the moment where we're struggling. I wanted to look at uh, a few things today, and I... Um, would love to tell you that I have found a magic elixir. I have found some numbers that I think are interesting, uh, but I don't have the total number. I I dug into a few things. So from an uh, and really most of the issues I think are defensive, but there's a few offensive things, and offense seems to be impacting defense more than you two. Two of our guys that are are important. Now, I really look at us just to make sure I'm I'm clear on this. I, I really look at us right now as we have a seven man rotation that George and Tony play, but there's seven guys that are strongly impacting winning right now. Three of them are a little off on the offensive end. So Boyan has not come back from All Star break playing it the way he does before. He's got that wrist that keeps getting banged up. It's not taped right now. So I don't know if that is having an impact. And he just looks like he's out of rhythm. It kind of actually reminds me of how he looked at in the preseason uh, when the year started. It's He just, um, and then he was fine once the regular season started. He may just be a rhythm player. And as a rhythm player, he just lost that rhythm as we came out of the break. That That's... Um, and I'm not, you know, the other one is that you just get to your career averages, and I generally suspect that's what he'll be. The one thing that's interesting on Boyan this year is his two-point shooting percentage is way down. So we're asking probably a little bit more out of him than he's ever been asked before. Thus, he's averaging a career high in points and a career high in rebounds and a career high in assists, and he's taking a career high shots per game and making a career high threes. I mean, we're we're pushing him, and he's become a better player at 30 years old with the Jazz than he's ever been before. He's also got a career high at 2.6 turnovers per game, which is high, uh, largely because we've put the ball in his hands just much more than he used to. Um, and it's he's taking a bunch of shots um, around the rim and in that uh, mid-range area that he didn't used to take. He's taking 21% of his shots from 3 to 10 feet. Last year, he was at 14%. Um, his The one little disconcerting thing on him is his rim numbers this year are way down. Um, he went from 30% of his shots at the rim to 20% of his shots uh, at the rim this year. So the, just the way we're playing, he's not getting as many as of those shots, and his two-point percentage is, is thus down. Now, we've talked about this before with Boyan, that if you dig in to his season last year, he got a tremendous amount of his offense in transition in Indiana. So, um, that you know, you don't think of Indiana as a transition team, but last year, Boyan Bogdanovich got, I believe, 20% of his possessions in the 
uh, in transition. And so this year, if he's not getting quite as many of those, then he's not going to be you know, quite as efficient in some ways. He's been great, though, so it's hard to... Uh, but he's off a little bit. So last year, he had 19.9% uh, of his possessions in transition. He shot 58% with an effective field goal percentage of 69%. Uh, 213 shot attempts over the year. And then he got... Uh, 22% of his offense off screens, like think about a Clay Thompson, 16% as a spot-up shooter, and 12% as a pick-and-roll ball handler. So that's that's how he was used last year. We've changed that um, a little bit uh, with him and in how he is now uh, being used and what we're asking out of him. And it uh, in turn, it's just that he's been more productive in many, many ways um, overall and then just even just in, you know in the last little bit. Uh, he's struggled with his shot for just a tad. I'm not, again, I think there's just as high a likelihood as Boyan comes out here in game four of this sample size uh, and goes five of eight from three and then everything's right. But I just thought it was worth talking. So his spot up has gone from 16% to 22% of his offense. His off the screen game, which was 22%, has gone to 17%. And his transition's gone from 20% to 16%. And then we're using him as a pick and roll ball handler about the same amount. Um, he's not been great on. He's at thirty three percent on that uh, in his in his ranking overall. So um, kind of an interesting little look at him. I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm not. I don't think that's high. Uh, Royce O'Neal's in a little bit of a struggle. So if you look at Royce's last, you know, fifteen games, he's shooting thirty percent for three. Again, I I think most of our issues are on the defensive end, but I do think that there's these, these kind of little tiny pieces that are struggling offensively and those struggles offensively are leading to maybe some of the def, you know, you're not playing with quite as much bounce and it's leading to um, some of the defensive struggles. So if we look at Royce and, you know, I don't, you look at the last 15 games, I just pulled the last 16. Uh, I meant to look at the last 15. He's shooting 37% and 29% uh, from three. So what is it? Well, there's a few things. Uh, his rim finishing is is down. He's made huge strides with his rim finishing. Um, he's down to 50%, and he's getting there a little less. And his corner three shooting is just not falling right now. He's six of his last 23 on corner threes. Um, if you look at him for the year, he's just much higher than that. So he's 26% on corner threes over. His above the break three is fine. He's nine of 25. So that is, it's just simply, you know, some of it is... Um, you know, his layups, according to uh, NBA stats, he's six of his last 16 on layups. So again, this, you know, he's so great at the go and catch and coming to the basket and, um, and and how he attacks that. And maybe, you know, he just, some of that's off. Maybe he's beat up a little bit from all of his defensive work. Uh, I don't have a lot of answers to you on what it is, but, you know, if you look at him for the year, uh, his layup shooting has been better than that. His layup shooting uh, overall, Sorry, I just have it down to 15 games. I think we got it fixed. Um, his his layup shooting has just been, you know, much, much better than that um, for the season. And so he's, you know, around the rim, he's been at 58%. Now he's at 50%. Um, so he's been better. The corner three shooting, he's been a 40% corner three shooting uh, for most of the year. I think he's 25 of 64, which comes out to a little under 40%. And he's, so we just talked about his down. So he's just, you know... That, that happens. There's a few shots that, that just go, don't go. Same thing with Joe. So Joe is the third one that's just in a little bit of a struggle right now. And so, like, what's going on there? Um, 
you know, Joe, anytime someone who's 32 struggles, we did this with Mike Conley earlier this year. Anytime who's 32 struggles, you know, we all start to get really nervous about, um, you know, what's going on with, with Joe and, and, you know, why he's struggling. So if depending, you can pick any kind of metric number where you want to, um, we can back it up to, we came, you know, from the new Orleans game on, which is, I think, uh, 17 games, he's shooting 36 and 28. Um, you can, you know, pick the last 10 games, uh, for, for Joe. And then you end up with, he's shooting, uh, 34% and 30% from three. And then it's actually a little more severe. Um, if you go grab the last five or six games, if I just take the last five, um, he's 28% from the field and he's 21% from three that that's important to us, right? Joe's super important to us and is not quite, um, on his game at this same level. He was there to me, uh, in trying to look at this and see what's going on. Uh, I actually came down to one specific shot. Um, and it's really how Joe's season has gone for much of the year. So Joe, uh, for the year is shooting 34% on his off the bounce three, which is they're forcing, he's playing with the ball in his hands. They're forcing him to his right. He takes one dribble to his right, two dribbles to his right. And he takes that three. That's a tiny bit off right now. And the other thing that's off is just because we're playing him with the ball in his hands so much, he is not getting nearly as many catch-and-shoot threes as he got before. Um, he actually, over the last 15 games, when he's been struggling, has taken more off-the-bounce threes than he has taken uh, catch-and-shoot threes. This is one of the best elite catch-and-shoot guys in the NBA. He's also one of our better pick-and-roll players. I mean, this is a guy who shot 40% on catch-and-shoot last year, 42% on wide, took 3.6 per game. He's taken 28 catch-and-shoots overall in his last 15 games. That's less than two a game. So, you know, he he's we've been using him in the pick and roll a lot. That forces him to play with this ball in his hands. And, you know, he wasn't, um, if you kind of look at the way he has been with his off-the-bounce three, it's really been what dictates him a little bit. So in the last 15 games, he's 8 of 29 on off-the-bounce threes. Um, his last 10 games, he's 5 of 19. Um, and in his last five games, he's four of 14 at the same time. Now, all of a sudden, I think, cause he's getting so few catch and shoots that's gone away. So in his last five games, he's one of nine on catch and shoot. Um, pr- prior to that, the five games before that, and, he, and this will equalize. He was five of eight, right? He's a great catch and shoot guy. There's no way that's going to be a problem for him. But when he's playing with the ball in his hands and we're having him play so much, pick and roll it's hard for him to pass to himself this is kind of what happened to him at the end of last year um as well his biggest growth is that the fact that he has grown um as a off the bounce three-point shooter if in 14 15 he shot 22 percent in 15 16 28 and then he 16 17 he jumped he went to 40 percent off the bounce and that's what changed his career um he you know, this year he's been taking about 2.6 per game, which is just a ton. There aren't many guys in the league um, that take that many. And, it, you know, it's a really hard shot uh, for him. So I think that that's the one area. And then just strangely, in the last five games, he has not made shots. But I, I went guessing that's all. He know, You know, he's not sitting there, I think, as a shooter in confidence, feeling the difference between a catch and shoot and an off the bounce. I'm just looking at the numbers. Players don't think about it that way. And so I think he just has lost a little confidence in his shot because the off the bounce three, which has become so prevalent for him has missed. So those three guys are just in a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, I don't have, that's an off. Those are offensive numbers. Our main problems are defensively. We've got to address that. 
Um, and and with that said, I I don't know. Um, you know, those three guys. If those three guys get it going a little bit, I think we'll be we'll be way better off. Um, overall, but I do think we need to fix it defensively. The other one is so. Then I went and looked at how everyone is playing together and what they're doing together, and see if there's anything you can learn from combinations. Because the funny thing about Joe is that like Joe, those numbers tell me that Joe should be good with Mike Conley because then Mike Conley should be able to create opportunities for Joe with the three-point shooting, which we haven't entirely seen um, out of Mike Conley, but it seems it should be that way. So then I looked at how everybody is by who they're playing with, and we'll look at that um, as we continue. Homie is impacting the real estate market, revolutionizing, changing, disrupting, whatever you want to say. It's a pretty neat concept if you're into kind of people who have creative visions and change the way the world works. The real estate world has always been, you give, by the time you're done, 6% are going to the agents, three on each side, and it works. Real estate, uh, it works for them. Real estate numbers continue to go up. The prices of houses get higher and higher and agents make more and more money and we're giving away more and more money for the same amount of work. And Homie said, I, I, I don't think so. And so Homie has changed the commission structure uh, and how the real estate world works. And they've saved, according to the latest studies, over $50 million in commissions for people. And an academic study from BYU professors show that Homie is selling homes for more money and eight days faster over the past three years with an average savings to each seller of over $10,000. Homie has helped thousands of buyers and sellers in 2019. They have done, this is no small little thing here. They did over, a, uh, last year, Homie did over a, billion dollars of real estate transactions and now their success is taking them into other marketplaces so if you're looking to sell your home right now uh, or buy your home right now text lock to 88588 to lock to 88588 and find out what homie can do for you and join in to the real estate market disruption all right so who plays well with whom so i looked at a few things um, I looked at our two and three man lineup. Sometimes this data is a little funky. I don't love it, but it's out there. So let's use it. And then the second thing I looked at was who um, of our three point guards, really? Because that's kind of what we have now. We have Donovan, Mike, and Joe who all play with the ball in their hands. And, you know, there's a greatness to that. There's a uniqueness to who we are and what we've done and the fact that we run pick and roll in a way that nobody else does in the league and the fact that we um, have this many guys. You know, Donovan's run 1,000 pick and rolls uh, for the year. Boyan's actually run like 847 of them uh, this year. I mean, I, or no, I think that's that was something... Uh, sorry, I had that wrong. I had the wrong number up. Um, Donovan's run 1,600 pick and rolls. Joe's run 1,000. Mike Conley's run 829. I mean, it's pretty It's pretty great to have that type of, of versatility. Donovan's the best we have on pick and rolls. Joe's the second, uh, and Conley's the third uh, statistically right now. Obviously, they run most of their stuff with Rudy, uh, and the order goes the same uh, in productivity. So I went and looked at it. So, and, I, and I found some stuff that's interesting, and and... I think you could overreact to this, but there, there's probably an argument to be made. So our, our three-man lineup since December 24th, since we added Clarkson, we have five, four three-man lineups that really aren't very good. Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Joe Ingles at 11.3. I'll tell you, the biggest stunner to me of the whole year is the lineup of Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert, which I simply thought was unguardable and thought would be a... I mean, I thought their offensive rating would be like 122 for the year, 
has been our one five-man lineup that is negative. So this is going to show up in all of these numbers. You dig down into three-man lineups and five-man lineups and things like that. And really, you know, you're still, you still, all the five-man lineup major data shows up. But there, your five-man lineup data is so limited because you just don't get good enough sample sizes. We only have two lineups all year that have played more than 500 possessions together. We only have three that have played more than 205 possessions together. So our starting lineup of of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, and Rudy Gobert is a minus 4.5. It's stunning. Their offense is in the 41st percentile. The defense is in the 33rd. Like that five-man lineup, which was I was guaranteed was our warrior death lineup, would not fail, has not succeeded. I can't believe it. Um, just cannot believe it. Uh, the defensive numbers not being great are not totally stunning because the guard line is so small, but the offense not working is just, I don't, I can't, I don't believe it. It's true, but I don't believe it. The contrast here is that we have these other two lineups that have played a lot. Donovan Royce, Boyan Joe, and Rudy Gobert, that's plus 17.5 and like the best starting, best five-man lineup in the league. Now, it hasn't been as good when our opponents have picked up. And then Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert, so no Joe Ingles, is plus 14.2. And, and those, that, the discrepancy there with a, as good a sample size as you can get for five-man lineups has to kind of shake your head a little, make you open your eyes a little bit and, and ask yourself, like, oh, is there something to be done here? Uh, so Conley, Bogey, Ingles, Conley, Bogey, Donovan, Conley, Ingles, Mitchell. It's that combination that I was convinced couldn't fail happens to be our four worst three-man lineups. I mean, I thought there was no chance that would fail. Um, I don't know if it's failed, but it has not been good so far. Uh, the other one that's interesting is Clarkson, O'Neal, and Mitchell are minus 5.8. So you look at that, and like it says that certainly that five-man starting lineup that we've been playing that we were, I was so convinced would be great has not been great. Um, and then what's also interesting is the idea that maybe Donovan and Clarkson on the floor together is not the greatest combination in the sense that, you know, Jordan's a one-on-one -on -one player and the ball's not moving a great deal and, you know, is it best to have Donovan out there? Now, this gets very, very complicated when you do rosters and lineups because you want Donovan probably to play in three stints. It's how he plays better. Other play, Jordan plays in one stint. Like, it's pretty hard when you start trying to piece all these things together to build a lineup. I mean, I've sat there and done the exercise a million times, and it's, you know, try it. Like, it's really hard, and, and you get into these things where, okay, well, we want to play Donovan in three stints, and we want certain people on the end of quarters for final possessions, and it's hard. Our best three-man lineups are interesting. O'Neal, Ingles, and Gobert. Okay, that's from that good starters. Gobert, Clarkson, and Ingles. So that's surprising to me. I would have thought that Joe got negated a little bit with Jordan on the floor. But so Gobert, Clarkson, and Ingles. Bogey, Ingles, and O'Neal. That's from that starting lineup. And here's Clarkson, Ingles, and Niang. So that's from that other, the bench unit, but with Gobert on the floor. Gobert changed it. And then this is the one that really is interesting to me. Plus 13.2 best three-man lineup, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and Rudy Gobert. Okay, so if you like just are playing with these numbers, can you suddenly have Mike Conley be playing with Jordan Clarkson rather than Donovan? And do you flip some things in the starting lineup just because those numbers, it's not as easy. Like here's, and you, if you go to, here's the numbers, like you're dealing with humans. Since December 24th, here's some interesting two-man lineup numbers 
Now, I have a larger sample size for the whole season we'll get into in a second. But just two-man lineup numbers since December 24th. Conley and Donovan, that short backcourt is minus 8.4. That opens my eyes and is a little, uh, like, oh. Um, Conley, but again, the offense in that lineup has just not worked the way it's supposed to, and I just have a hard time believing that that's really true. Uh, Conley and Bogdanovich, minus 5.6. Moutier and O'Neal, minus 3.9. That makes some sense. Both really kind of non-shooters. Put them on the floor together, which we end up doing in the bench unit if Moutier's playing with O'Neal not starting. I got it. Clarkson and Mitchell, minus 1.8. All right, so if you kind of look at our guards, we've got Conley, Donovan, Joe, Clarkson, Mitchell. There is some data here that since December 24th, Conley and Donovan are not great. Donovan and Clarkson are not great. So, like, how do you play that um, group together? What are our best two-man groups? Um, Ingles and Niang, Ingles and O'Neal, Ingles and Moutier. But that's really strange because that basically tells me that Joe with the bench unit is best. And we just talked about the other way. So I don't have any idea, like, the more I dug into this. It just doesn't quite work. Then what's interesting is Gobert, Ingles, Gobert, O'Neal, and Gobert, Niang look good together. Like, Niang plays with Bradley, and that lineup is actually, despite how it feels, is actually positive for the year. And the last one is Bogey and O'Neal. So, like... The more you dig in, the less clear it all gets. Like the first kind of numbers I looked at with the starting lineup was really obvious. Then the next group kind of looked like it sent you something. And then all of a sudden, the more you dig in, it starts to get really funky and doesn't get clear. Uh, Let's look at who does Mike Conley play well with? Who does Joe Ingles play well with? And who does Donovan Mitchell play well with? Um, And then let's look at the vaunted Boston Celtics as they are uh, coming to down. Today's show is brought to you by The Store. The mudslide, I keep getting emails. I appreciate everybody who trusts me and tries the mudslide cookie and says, oh, you're right. Like I would not, there's a bunch of stuff I'd lie to you about in life that just isn't that important. Climate control, things like that. But chocolate chip cookies and mudslide cookies, there's no chance I would ever lie to you on anything of that importance and that magnitude. I promise. I I would just wouldn't do it. Um, But more importantly, it's the whole environment that you get at both those uh, stores. The store is located 6200 South and 20th East. Uh, The store is also located for you out at downtown at the Gateway. And the Gateway, uh, will it's kind of got that cool urban feel to it. Uh, All the things you need. Uh, By the way, I just want to share here. I'm Hayden Van Van DeMott. You'll probably know me on Twitter because Jazz Notes, we talked before the games. I landed in Salt Lake from Australia before the Rockets game. I thought I'd let you know I stopped by the store for Mudslide Cookies. I always thought cookies are cookies, but man, that was an incredible cookie. Uh, Hey, if you're listening there, Hayden, if you're listening to this today, come stop by and say hi. Um, Stephen Kundwick. uh, Locked, long time, love the program, still need to try the Mudslide Cookie. What? What? Still need to try it? How can you not have tried it? Anyway, the mudslide cookie is just kind of representative of their own bakery and how great they make things, whether it's their pico de gallo or their salsas that are made there. The store's got the great vibe. You'll feel the energy uh, when you get there and that community feel. Store 6200 South, 20th East, also located down at the gateway. All right, so who plays well with whom? Like... I mean, I really, I was just trying to go through a rabbit hole to see if I could find anything that was helpful, that was insightful. And the more data you get, the more confused you get. And the bottom line on all of it is we got to D up. Get back in transition, guard your yard, those kind of things. So since December 24th, and this is also what's weird. You're going to see a bunch of things here 
where numbers for the whole season and since December 24th are different, which is weird because um, the December 24th sample size should be fairly good. So Mike Conley, who's Mike Conley good with since December 24th? <clears throat> he is plus 6.6 .6 with Niang. Oh, that's and plus 3.7 with Clarkson. Oh, this is easy. Let Mike run the bench unit, make him get good luck. Okay, like have him play with those guys. Now for the season, he's minus 6.6 .6 with Niang instead of plus 6.6. .6. Like for the whole season. So you're taking a small sample size or a big sample size. He's even with O'Neal. He's even with Ingles. Like for all the worry of Mike and Joe, whether it mixes and hurts, they're, they're even. Mike has not worked out with Bogdanovich or Donovan since December 24th. But he's also not worked with Tony Bradley for the whole season. And for the whole season, he has worked with Donovan. The sample size with Donovan is plus 3.6 for the whole season. And plus 2.9 with Bogdanovich. It's only since December 24th that that starting lineup hasn't been right. And it might have absolutely nothing to do with Mike Conley. It might have everything to do with just the defensive effort. I don't know. That's where there's just no easy answer here. All right, who's Joe good with? Joe's great with Rudy. Plus 10.4 since December 24th. He's great with Rudy. And for the year, he's even better. He's great with Royce. 10.9, 15.5. That starting lineup is the best in the NBA with a large sample size. But Joe is also great with Clarkson. 9.6 with Clarkson on the floor. He's great with Bogey at 9.2. He's 4.9 with Mitchell. And he's 1.4 in the Yang. The only one that hasn't worked in some sense is uh, him with Mike Conley at times. But that's for the season. That's Those numbers are for the whole season. Go since December 24th, and he and Mike are even or fine. And Joe's generally positive with everyone, plus eight since December 24th, to Joe's credit. Niang, he's plus 16. O'Neal, he's plus 15. Moutier's plus 15. Gobert's plus 14. Clark James plus 10. Bogey's plus nine. Donovan's plus eight. Mike Conley, he's even. Okay, that's different. Like, that's... Okay, so that says something there. I don't know what. You can just decide that... Joe Ingles and Mike Conley are never on the floor at the same time? Maybe. Maybe you're deciding you're, those are your two point guards and you got to weigh that. That Those numbers would lead you to that decision in a small, tiny capsule that probably doesn't represent everything. How about Donovan? Who's Donovan good with? For the season, plus nine with Royce, plus eight with Rudy, plus seven with Bogey, plus five with Ingles, plus four with Conley. Not very good with Clarkson, minus two with Tony Bradley or Emmanuel Moutier. All right. So that means, you know, Donovan with the starters. Easy. Since December 24th, plus nine with Gobert, plus nine with Ingles, plus seven with Bogdanovich, plus seven with O'Neal, plus five with Moutier, and then there's the minus 8.4 with Clarkson since December 24th, which is this kind of weird number with a small sample size because Mike hasn't played that many games in that stretch, and when you have a larger sample size, they're plus 3.6. So I don't know what you do with that. The numbers, you know... That's it. You can decide, and, you know, those are a lot of numbers to be thrown at you, and most people are visual, not audio, so they're hard to look at. Um, what is what is the takeaway? There probably can be some adjustments here to try to find out. The second unit right now is really Clarkson run. Who works best with Clarkson? And so the answer to that is Joe Ingles, except for the fact that Joe Ingles works best with Rudy Gobert running that pick and roll that we all know so well, and you've got to 
and you want to keep them on the floor together, and Clarkson is often playing in the bench unit, and so then you're pulling Joe's minutes from Rudy, except for the fact that Donovan in Rudy's pick-and-roll is actually the best, and anytime we're running a Joe-Rudy pick-and-roll, we're not giving the ball to Donovan to run a pick-and-roll with Rudy, so if we become a completely Joe or Conley point guard team, then Donovan's not running the pick-and-roll. as I mean, like, it is convoluted. Here's the thing. There's no easy answer. There's the the positive out of all of this is that there are a bunch of lineups that are really working. And I think we can get back to finding those to allow things to be successful again. All right, tonight is a brutal, brutal matchup. Boston's great. They're one of three teams in the league that's top five offensive and defensive rating. The others are the Lakers and the Bucks. They get out and run. They score on fast breaks, the sixth most of anybody in the league. We turn the ball over. They score the seventh most on turnovers. They're the second highest deflection team in the league. Thanks, Jake Snelson. Good timing on sending me your notes. I didn't have that. They're the, you know, they just are long, athletic, multiple. These are things that, we're not. This is, to me, the toughest matchup of any matchup we have in the league. Jason Tatum is on fire right now. Who guards Jason Tatum? That's a tough one for us. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're really good at everything. It's not like you look at them and say, well, they're... Like in on offense, they're the eleventh best shooting team, the ninth best team at not turning it over, the ninth best offensive rebound team, and the tenth best free throw team. It's not like one thing there. Defensively, they're the fifth best team against the shot. They're the fourth best team at forcing turnovers, which is concerning. Eleventh best rebounding and twenty second at not fouling. It's not like there's one. They're not like in a, they're seventh best three point shooting team. And they take the league average. They're the eighth best defending, but they allow a little bit more than the league average. They're just really good at everything because, frankly, when you look at their starting lineup, Marcus Smart, top 10 pick. Jason Tatum, top five, three pick. Jalen Brown, top three pick. Uh, Gordon Hayward, top 10 pick. Like, they're loaded. Kemba Walker's, I don't think, going to play tonight, but, uh, you know, they're just absolutely loaded with elite-level um, picks. There have been very few teams in the history of the game that have this many high-level draft picks on the same roster. Uh, and Daniel Tice, you know, they're using the model that you don't need to pay your center a lot. And they're getting, they're getting, you know, decent 15, 20 minutes out of a bunch of guys on the bench that you probably don't know very well. You know, Romeo Langford, the rookie, is scuffling a little bit, but he, he and Grant Williams, the rookie, gives them some minutes, and Ennis is in a brutal slump, but he gives them good, you know, he's plus eight last night, surprisingly. Uh, now, with all that said, there's bad a matchup as we get. They're 40 and 17. They've played two, they're playing their third game in four nights, and we're hopefully coming out as a desperate group. We go grab this one. It sure swings the narrative of the week in a pretty fast manner. We'll see if we can do it. This has been Locked On Jazz for you today. A lot of stuff, a lot of numbers. Probably overdid it a little bit. I think my point is that there are some combinations that are positive, but it is not an easy one to find uh, for you. It is uh, Locked On Jazz. Today is Wednesday. Locked On NBA is out there today. Feel free to grab it if you'd like to by telling your smart device to play podcast 
Locked on NBA. Have a good one. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.